For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana. This is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. A new transcontinental nonstop flight speed record has been broken, according to the Global Flyway Network. To be clear, the GFN doesn't track people. They track shorebird migrations by following individual shorebirds fitted with a 5-gram satellite tracker. Five grams, for those of you who want to know, is about a U.S. nickel in weight, which, oddly enough, is kind of a rarity these days. So, two dimes. Well, there is this coin shortage going on. Uh, So, remove an average-sized human eyeball and scoop out about three-tenths of the eyeball, and you'll be left with about five grams of eyeball. I had to throw that disgusting one in there because we're getting close to Halloween. I guess I should throw in another disclaimer in regards to taking an average human eyeball. Just trust me on the five gram weight and don't try to prove me right or wrong. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Anyway, the GFM, the Global Flyway Network, tracks birds and they happened to recently track a real speed demon. A bar-tailed godwit recently hit speeds of 55 miles per hour over the course of its 11-day, 7,581-mile trip. The bar-tailed godwit is a long-legged shorebird, part of the sandpiper family. Individuals will typically weigh in between 190 grams and 490 grams. Oddly enough, 490 grams would be about half as heavy as your average hamster. Who doesn't know that? They prefer to nest on hummock tops on the tundra, and according to the Audubon Society, they are big, noisy, and cinnamon-colored. 
which kind of reminds me of my older sister. A particular bar-tailed godwit, a male referenced as 4BBRW, left southwest Alaska in late September and seven days later touched back down on land for the first time just outside of Auckland, New Zealand, a distance again of 7,581 miles. That's roughly 6,300 miles of open ocean. Then a left turn at New Caledonia, where the male godwit chose not to stop, then proceeded another 1,200 plus miles of open ocean to New Zealand. How comfortable would you feel with directions like that? Yeah, just head on out over the open ocean, keep going. Uh, You know you'll be getting close when you start to realize you haven't seen land in six days. Then, when you do see land, don't stop, turn left, and fly for another 1,200 miles. I know exactly where we are. Yeah, we're in the middle of nowhere. Honey, please. Well, you'll likely never be in that position, so it doesn't matter. What does is these little obese, hamster-sized, noisy, cinnamon-colored birds do. Another interesting fact to digest is that the godwit will double in size prior to migration. As you may know, heavy things don't fly so well. I mean, look at the turkey. So the godwit can shrink its internal organs to accommodate the fat without putting on the pounds. Sounds kind of like the new fad diet. And we are approaching Thanksgiving. (laughs) To bring this one home to the hunting side of things, the fact that migratory bird hunting seasons have started in most of the U.S., you cannot hunt bar-tailed godwit, so don't ruffle those tail feathers. Anyway, the big migrators you can hunt, such as sandhill cranes, tundra swans, for instance, are big birds, but they have a disappointing amount of meat, I've found. That meat is heavy and big birds still have a weight limit for long-distance migrations, whereas a non-migrator, like a wild turkey or even a sharp-tailed grouse, seems to be all meat. In fact, if you really want to get birdie, a recent study published in the journal Experimental Biology takes a look at the birds that make the biggest weight gains prior to migration across the three types of bird flight. The three types of bird flight are, of course, your uh, continuous flappers, like the bar-tailed godwit, your flap and soarers, like the hawks, and your flap and gliders, like the sparrow. The more you flap, the more weight you need to put on in fat. But an increased fuel load has increased cost. Eating more to put that fat on exposes the birds more to predation. Heavier fuel loads mean increased drag and more wing beats. One would think that our really big birds, the ones like the lazen albatross, for instance, that will cover over a million miles a year, would be the hard workers. But remember, the Arctic tern, who is a fraction of the size of the albatross, has a yearly migration of 56,000 miles. Just want to throw that out there. Something interesting we discuss. You know, idle chit-chat. One more fun fact for you. That migratory bird stamp you can buy? helps the bar-tailed godwit, a bird you cannot legally kill and eat, just as much as those birds you can kill and eat. Buy your darn duck stamp, people. A marsh is a place full of life, not all of it edible, but life just the same. This week, we've got kitties, squalene, and the mailbag. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, as you know, is sponsored by Steel Power Equipment. Makers of the world's finest chainsaws. 
We are back, in fact, to bouncing around in the truck in pursuit of birds and antelope time of year. And as you already know, I like to have my steel battery powered chainsaw on the truck because it is clean and stink free. It can ride in the back of the truck with the dog and my hunting gear, no gas vapors invading the last of the puppy smell or my hunting clothes. I throw in steel limb loppers, which are fantastic for cutting through antelope ribs and shanks even. I always bring all the bones home from an antelope hunt. The lightest big game bones you can carry and one of the tastiest animals. Antelope bone broth or demi-glaze is a real treat. For those of you following along, here is a quick, quote, snort report. (coughs) Snort, now five and a half month old yellow lab, has been moving up ever so slowly on the game bird size scale. We've moved from Hungarian partridge up to sharp tail grouse. She's working hard and seems to love it. I cooked up a last minute paella, which, as you know, is no way to make paella. Uh, I used a couple of huns and a couple of sharp tails. And my goodness, it was pretty and delicious. And what a way to break up all that red meat consumption. All right, moving on to the mailbag. A couple of real thinkers in here. First from Huguenot, New York, a listener writes in, I'd like to get your input on private lands that blue-collar workers like myself and friends hunted for years and recently lost permissions due to the owners getting serious bucks to lease the ground. I used to deliver frozen turkeys and bottles of wine as a friendly offering to hunt. Now, quote, rich people are offering cash that I can't even comprehend. They're cutting down trees and making food plots just like every hunting show I see. Do you see a way around this? Uh, First fun fact, Huguenot, New York was named after Huguenots that settled there. Huguenots fled France due to religious persecution. A couple of Huguenot families landed in what is now Huguenot, New York, back in 1698. Now on to the question at hand. The Whitetail Industrial Complex is a beast. And yes, I would like to think there would be some ways a nice group of hunters without deep pockets can play the game. But you'll have to knock on a lot of doors and make a compelling case. Fortunately, New York does have a lot of public land. So does neighboring Pennsylvania. The public ground has its own challenges, but at least it's more stable than a single landowner's decision. This is not, for the record, a discussion I really enjoy because I really don't like mixing economics and hunting. But if you had to, you and your buddies could try and barter hours of labor to offset the property taxes and provide upkeep and improvements a lot of landowners I know see very beneficial to the whole leasing for hunting rights game. The other factor that big money typically does not provide is the ability for the landowner and their family to also hunt the land. So this may be a question of how many concessions you're willing to make, how much time you're willing to put in, and what you can offer that others cannot. Perhaps, you know, you could try a holistic approach in lieu of cash, like uh, building and putting up bird boxes, documenting all the other wildlife on a place, removing old fencing pay to have the soil sampled or the ground properly surveyed and documented, etc. You know, you can bring a lot of joy to landowners by uh, showing them what you see out there. Buenos dias, neighboritos. It's a tough one. This probably isn't the answer you want, 
but I'd love to hear the rest of the story and hear how it turns out for you. Good luck out there. This next one is from Hawaii, and it is a Hot Topic House Bill 1862, which would prohibit the Hawaii Department of Land and Natural Resources from implementing bag limits for game animals on all public lands. Sounds crazy, right? Hawaii is in some cases overrun by invasive non-native species. Goats, pigs, sheep, hybrid sheep, chickens, cattle, axis deer, just to name a few. For those species that the state considers a game animal, House Bill 1862 at face value is saying, we want to eliminate these animals from the landscape. This will now be a free-for-all. Hunters, please take as many as you want. Help us remove these animals, a pro-native wildlife move. Now, after looking through the House bill, which can be found at legiscan.com forward slash wife forward slash comments, HB162 forward slash 2020, there are no provisions for reinstating the Hawaii Department of Land Natural Resources' ability to implement bag limits in the future, nor are there any accompanying bills that would prohibit landowners from monetizing these same animals which we know would be necessary if eradication is actually the goal. In fact, making legal public hunting illegal would likely be necessary to eradicate these species, if eradication is actually the goal. To be clear, I'm not saying you can't hunt in Hawaii. That's not what I'm advocating for. As my friend Mark Healy over there likes to point out, 95% of what is eaten on Hawaii is brought in by ship. Wouldn't we be eliminating our food security? Now, the reason that I think folks should pay attention to HB 1862 is simply this. It's not a holistic plan. It's not a whole island plan. This deals specifically with public lands. And for those folks who aren't keen on jumping the neighbor's fence to go hunt, that's what you got. And this kind of piecemeal thing of trying to put the smack down on mammals on public land when the mammals don't recognize boundaries, such as three-strand barbed wire fence, is only going to hurt the folks hunting that public land. As animals are removed off that public land, that void will likely consistently be filled by the animals moving off of private land. I just don't see this as a long-term solution. Here's another interesting thing to think about, a topic I hope to keep exploring. When do these destructive non-native animals become accepted as native? The Polynesians brought pigs to Hawaii roughly 1,620 years ago, in canoes, across the ocean. And just as they did then, pork chops taste good still. Hawaiians love eating and hunting axis deer. Axis deer were introduced to Molokai in the 1860s. Lanai, shortly after and Maui after that. Goats, cats, chickens, mongoose, and an even more staggering amount of vegetation have all been introduced and thusly compete with Hawaii's native flora and fauna. It has always been interesting to me to see which of these exotics we embrace and for what reason. Now, in completely non-related news, happy pheasant opener, everybody. Or, more accurately, Happy Chinese ringneck pheasant opener. 
a lot of people think that getting life insurance means you're insuring yourself for yourself, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's insuring yourself for your family. So if something happens to me and I'm not around anymore, I can have more peace of mind that my family can have some financial support. And that's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. More than once in my life, my journey, people have described me as an independent person. And that's how I want to stay even when I'm dead. That's how I want to be remembered. That's why I have life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Next up, this one's for uh, two folks. One, the listener that was compelled to send me a review that another listener left telling me that uh, I shouldn't talk about climate change unless I have a solution to climate change. <laughs> no. And I should quit talking about feral cats because if feral cats were bad, wouldn't people get rid of them? Uh, inside the time span of a week, I got two emails, one from Florida and one from Utah. 
stating that their local animal shelters had instructed these listeners to release cats, or in the case of the Utah Animal Shelter, come pick up cats at the shelter to release. In both instances, the group Friends of Animals had been working to turn both states into, quote, no-kill states, which I had to laugh at. I got a hold of a spokesperson for Friends of Animals in Utah. Their statement was, Friends of Animals is limited to cats. And that is the only animal that really matters. They feel that releasing cats to kill wildlife is more humane than killing the cats. Now, it has been well established on this show that free-ranging domestic cats are the top human-caused threat to wildlife in the United States. Outdoor cats kill an estimated 1.3 to 3.7 billion birds and 22.3 billion non-bird lives, including small mammals and reptiles. Point is, if you are so kind to take cats to a shelter, make sure they are not just re-releasing the cats that you already picked up from outside. And, of course, if you do want a cat, keep your cat inside. And if you don't want to keep your cat inside, well, listen up, because we're going to jump right over to the cat desk. And this next one will leave you purring, I promise. A new study confirms that cat owners can bond with your pets. How, you might say? With slow and probably creepy blinking. I added the probably creepy. Regardless. Maybe we can blink our way to peace. Probably not, but let's give her a try. This study, published in a journal called Scientific Reports, posits that by narrowing your eyes, you can generate the equivalent of a smile for a cat, which might make you more attractive to the pet. Researchers and animal experts at the University of Sussex did two experiments to study what they call the cat smile theory. First, They studied 21 cats from 14 different households to see how they responded when their humans shot a slow blink in their direction from about three feet away. I just have to briefly pause here to highlight the totally absurd mental picture of some researcher with a clipboard taking notes as some guy stares at his cat from across the room. Man, that cat must be thinking, what the heck is wrong with humans these days? but I digress. Next, they looked at an additional group of 24 cats from eight different households to see how they responded when the researcher, who was unfamiliar to them, sent a slow blink. These incredibly strange and non-scientific findings seem to show that cats are more likely to send their owners a slow blink when their owners give them the slow blink They also showed that the researchers who sent cats a slow blink before offering them their hand were more likely to be approached. These, quote, smiles, researchers concluded, could be described as a positive communication between cats and humans, whether you are a stranger or an owner. It's unclear whether these behaviors are learned or innate, meaning that it's anyone's guess to whether these cats are just copying or if they have been communicating this way long before we domesticated them. Domesticated cats all come from wild cats called Felis sylvestris libica. These cats originated in the Fertile Crescent in the Near East Neolithic period and in ancient Egypt in the Classical period. 
The idea that ancient Egyptians worshipped cats gets thrown around, but it isn't all that accurate. Cats weren't literally worshipped, but the ancient Egyptians did associate many of their cats' characteristics with aspects of the divine. Egyptian depictions of cats seem to be full of personality and even the occasional smile. What does this all mean? Well, for one thing, you might be able to slowly blink your way into a friendship with one of these murderous felines living in the wild and convince them to stop killing so many birds. Please just don't post any video of you doing this socially. It's not a good look for you, and you'll just be embarrassing them too. Moving on, and back to Utah. A trail runner had a run-in with a mountain lion mama who pursued him up the trail for a total of six minutes. Utah Department of Natural Resources is not going to kill the cat and has suggested the jogger learn how to slowly blink. (laughs) Moving on to the USDA desk, where we're going to talk numbers. USDA released last week recent totals of animals that were either killed, euthanized, freed, and relocated by wildlife services in the U.S. in the year 2019. This included over 62,000 coyotes, 24,500 beavers, 800 bobcats, 1,300 gray foxes, 1,200 red foxes, 400 black bears, 300 gray wolves, 300 cougars, 18,000 brown tree snakes, 31 bald eagles, 10,000 black vultures, 360,000 red-winged blackbirds, 25,000 Canadian geese, and a single grizzly bear. I'm not real great at math, but I think that adds up to around 1.2 million wild animals killed last year. That might seem like a crazy amount of death at the hands of our government. But when you think of the number of human-wildlife conflicts that need solved around our country or on any given day, you can start to see how we might top the 1 million mark here. According to USDA, APHIS Wildlife Services, their mission is to provide federal leadership and expertise to resolve wildlife conflicts to allow people and wildlife to coexist. That's a sticky job at best though APHIS employees operate under a strict code of ethics in the field and are dedicated to data and common-sense-driven wildlife management methods, there's a long list of duties that you wouldn't probably consider to be in the purview of the USDA, but they're relevant to all of us nonetheless. Take urban rodent management programs, or feral free-ranging and hybrid dog damage management, for example. And you can even throw in a little double-crested cormorant damage management for good measure. Some are surely not happy with the death toll reported here, arguing that North America's iconic wildlife is being needlessly killed using taxpayers' money. But look deeper, and you'll often find it's those taxpayers making phone calls instead of closing their garage doors and bringing in their garbage that end in the death of a black bear. So... In lieu of us folks being responsible, picking up after ourselves, and keeping animals out of these, quote, conflict situations, somebody has to come in and deal with it. One thing us Americans seem to need is to have somebody pick up the phone. So the next time you leave the dog food out on the porch, or you're going out to fill up yet another bird feeder that's been knocked over, please consider bringing the bird feeder in for a while or just feeding the dog inside. 
because there is a phone number you can call. And as the reality TV hero of the working man, Mike Rowe, once said, somebody's got to do it. Moving on to the shark desk. Where some are protesting a new proposed COVID-19 vaccine because it would kill too many sharks. Oddly enough, 2020 has been the deadliest year in regards to shark attacks on humans. Maybe they saw this vaccine coming. If only the writers of Sharknado 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and the last Sharknado, would have gotten their hands on a storyline like this one, we would all have been highly entertained. A group of great white sharks targets humans in response to humans targeting great white sharks. All jokes aside, this debate is very real. It all started with a substance known as shark squalene a natural organic compound found in shark liver oil. This compound is a common moisturizing ingredient in cosmetics, and it's used in malaria and flu vaccines as an agent that boosts the immune system's response. They call it an adjuvant, a chemical that kickstarts the immune system into action, driving stronger, longer-lasting protection against disease. Catherine McDonald, a shark biologist in Florida, told NPR that between 63 million and 273 million sharks die at the hands of humans each year, and liver oil is harvested from at least a couple million of them. Two companies, GlaxoSmithKline and Sequiris, manufacture adjuvants that contain about 10 milligrams of squalene per dose in a number of coronavirus vaccines currently being tested in humans. So we're already using this stuff. Seems only natural to apply it to a desperately needed vaccine for COVID. As you might imagine, it ain't that simple. A group called Shark Allies recently created waves on social media and beyond as they mounted a campaign calling on the Food and Drug Administration to stop companies from sourcing the compound from sharks. The group says that a mass distribution of the COVID vaccine would mean extracting tissue from more than 500,000 sharks. The group started hashtag SharkFreeVaccines, an initiative and an online petition, which has over 60,000 signatures. Their hope is for companies to transition from shark-derived squalene to alternatively derived squalene, as it is sustainable and environmentally friendly. Evan Berland, director of U.S. Corporate Communications for GSK, said the company is committed to environmental stewardship and is actively exploring the potential for alternative sources of its raw materials when possible. The company also told NPR and others that the squalene they provide comes from sharks typically caught for other purposes. As of this recording, this debate rages on and shark allies continue their PR campaign on behalf of sharks everywhere. Fact is, there were 193 coronavirus vaccines in clinical and preclinical evaluation, and only five of those vaccines contain shark squalene. Shark Allies Executive Director Stephanie Brendel says that when it comes to a potentially life-saving vaccine, she isn't saying that shark populations are worthier of protection than humans. But here's what she did say about sharks. They keep our fish stock healthy. They keep the food chain intact. They keep diseases out of other animal populations. Good luck trying to replace that when we lose them. We'll keep a close eye on this one as it rages on with hopes that we can have the best of both worlds, an effective vaccine that doesn't kill sharks. 
That's all I've got for you this week. Thanks for listening. As always, let me know what's happening in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks, sent right to your door visit mauinuivenison.com that's m-a-u-i-n-u-i venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order